Greetings, friends, and welcome to the NC Raw podcast. Be sure to head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash ncraw to become an NC Raw patron and help support us in the growth and expansion of this podcast. We're working towards opening up our own NC Raw recording studio that will double as a recovery community center in the Western North Carolina region, a place where people in recovery can come and gather and support each other along this process of recovery, as well as empowering you guys to create your own content. We're giving away podcasts. We can get this space where we hope to create a network of NC Raw podcasts, uh, ranging topics ranging from LGBTQ to a women's only podcast to something like the topic of today's podcast in sexual trauma and sexual assault, domestic violence, um, all sorts of things. We've got all sorts of podcasts on the horizon. So uh, head over to the Patreon page. If you subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron and receive exclusive content. We do behind the scenes videos for all patrons as well as early release of all podcasts that we record. So head over there and check it out. Today's show, it was uh, it was an emotional, inspirational conversation. Um, these two women right here were amazing. Emily Malloy and Janae Haynes came on. They are working together on the Mindful Evolution Project. And it is a way that survivors can share their story and tell their story through a series of projects surrounding photography and other forms of um, creativity to tell their story of trauma, but most importantly, the story of healing. Um, they joined, they sat down with me and talked a little bit about their stories and about the project in depth and how this whole thing came to life. And like I said, it was it was super inspirational. Um, I was very proud of each of them to come on and have the courage to kind of open up and share these intimate, intimate stories and experiences in their life. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Again, I thoroughly did. And I look forward to supporting the Mindful Evolution Project and working with them again in the future. So... Give some love to Emily Malloy and Janae Haynes. Me from chasing my dreams is a 
opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go, ladies. We're on, baby. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Emily Malloy. Thank you. Janae Haynes. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming over and having this conversation with us tonight. I think it's a very important topic that we are getting ready to we're getting ready to have. We got some feedback coming in, but we'll just roll with it. How do we stop that? It's all good now. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to talk with you guys. Um, and I am definitely inspired by both of you guys and the work that you're doing. Um, Emily sent me a friend request a few weeks back (coughs) and I like clicked on it to see like who she was and what was going on. And the first thing that caught my eye, it said founder of the mindful evolution project. And I am a Buddhist practitioner. I study the Dharma and a seasoned meditator. So any it caught my eye, the Mindful Evolution Project. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I sent you a message and I was like, tell me about the Mindful Evolution <laughs> Project. And that was before I knew that you two were connected yeah, in any way. Yeah, we were actually sitting drinking coffee when she sent you that friend request. Yeah, because she told me about you. I told her to friend request like eight powerhouse people that i knew i I made the list yes i thought you knew who i was through i didn't that's so funny she didn't give me a heads up that that was coming (laughs) and so i was like tell me about the mindful (laughs) evolution project and you filled me in and i immediately threw an invitation out Mm -hmm. and then a few days later i saw your amazingly beautiful and powerful pictures Mm -hmm. that you posted telling your story and then we talked and we settled on this date so I'd like to start off by asking you, what is the Mindful Evolution Project? Yeah, so the Mindful Evolution Project is a creative platform for survivors with all sorts of trauma to share their story through photography, could be videography, um, but my main focus is photography. Uh, I kind of came up with this after kind of dissecting into my own story um, of how to heal and and how to show other people kind of phases of what a rape survivor goes through. So I thought I, I, I created these phases in my mind um, with the help of my boyfriend, Ryan French. Shout out Ryan French. <laughs> it's a huge supporter and kind of just came up with like, wow, what if we photographed these phases and put it out there and inspired people, other survivors to share their story but to bring awareness in a creative way, because we all like we listen, we look at visuals like we'll listen to people speak, but it's a visual that gets people's attention. So if you can see a picture of someone who is crying in a most vulnerable place, a place that took something from them years ago or even yesterday and see them back in what I call symbolic ground, it's it's moving and And that's my hope is to not just to bring awareness, but to make change that sticks Mm -hmm. and, and to let all survivors know with any sort of trauma, it doesn't have to be rape, sexual assault. 
that you have a voice. We're here for you. And mm. I would love to be like to, you to be part of it. And, and another reason it's the, the mindful evolution where that name came from is hashtag the me project is it's evolving. It's, it's not just one phase. My goal is to make this global and I would love for everyone to come together and evolve that we would open our mind and that we would realize that this is an issue. It's not getting better. The statistics are getting worse. Right. We need to do something about it. Right. Absolutely. I know, I know for me, going back to the symbolic ground was so, it was so powerful. Um, and in a sense, you know, going back to a place where I was so vulnerable and taking my power back, you know, um, going back to that place and saying, okay, I'm taking my life back now. You're not going to take anything from me. I'm not going to be triggered by this anymore. You know, and it was, it, that was so, it was just, empower, I, you know, and it, as far as the pictures, I really just kind of sat in the space and felt my feelings and she just snapped the photos as they come in it. It was overwhelming. I didn't think I was going to cry. I thought I was going to be numb. And, um, you know, I did. I, I started crying and I just kind of let those feelings process. And that was really healing, too, and taking that power back, too. Like, it's okay to feel these feelings, but look at me. Get up. Stand up. And now, and, and move forward and, and let other people know, you know, men and women, that you can move forward. It doesn't have to be something that debilitates you forever. You don't have to even be triggered by this forever. How did you two connect so Janae and I, we, we met, um, at AV Tech college like years ago, years ago, and we were friends and we, we hung out for about a year and then we reconnected through social media. Yeah. So thank you, Facebook. And I found her and her name. I'm like, Janae, Janae, Janae. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, Janae. And you can't forget a name like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I always loved her name and the meaning of her name. I just, I, I love mm. that it means the breath of God. I mean, I think that is mm. just powerful and she's such a compassionate spiritual person. I remembered that about her. Mm. So after seeing her post come you know, out about her story, I just was, I just was drawn to her and to reconnect. And then when this project came, um, she kept liking my post for mindful evolution. And I thought, well, maybe I should reach out to her. Maybe she'd want to be a part. And Yay, she did. <laughs> the day that we went to snap the photos, I, I like flaked out like three times. I kept trying to change the time and change the time. And finally I stopped and I prayed about it. Because um, I remember even texting Lauren like, I don't know if I can do this. And I stopped and prayed about it. And I said, you know what, though? This is not about me. It's not just about me. This is for other people. And once I took myself out of the equation it really gave me the strength to do it but Emily I remember um when I relapsed last year and I put you know a post that I wanted to end my life on Facebook and she um commented and messaged me and reached out to me and she had remembered me from years ago in class and that really struck something with me that I you know was remembered by someone years ago um and uh, a strength that you saw even years ago. And, and I held on to those comments from that post all through 
treatment, I, I went back and read it, and, like, you are a huge source of encouragement oh. for me. So oh, thank that you. meant a lot. Yeah, we're, we're already going to cry. <laughs> there's, there's a box of tissues underneath oh, this table. Oh, we might right need one. Um, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about if you can take yourself back to the moment when she pitched the idea to you to go back to this place and tell this story through the art of photography, what was your initial reaction? Like what kind of emotions and feelings were going through you at the time approaching your, you're approaching your one year Mm -hmm. anniversary in recovery at the Mm -hmm. time you were kind of building on some serious momentum, some serious spiritual growth and relational growth as a mother, as a girlfriend, like, What was your initial emotional response to the invitation that Emily threw out to you? Um, I was on board with it immediately. I felt I felt God pull me to it almost immediately, you know. And then after that, there was a little fear and hesitation because I was like, "This is going to be a big step. This is." You know, because I have so many people in my life that are doing these big, amazing things, and I was kind of wondering, like, when's my thing going to come? And so when she messaged me, I was like, okay, God's bringing me a thing, so I should do this thing. Um, It's something I'm really passionate about also, you know, and um, it's something that, you know, with the lived experience that I can actually help someone else with, and that gives me joy and gives me hope to be able to help other people, you know, to know that these experiences were not in vain, you know, so I kind of feel like it was a God's will thing and I had to step up and be brave. Mm -hmm. So, and you did, and I did. The pictures came out amazing. Yes, they're awesome. She's an amazing (laughs) photographer. Yeah. They're beautiful. Did you have a photography background before starting this project? No, no. Actually, um, I've been told by, from my mom for years like that I should be a photographer. And I've worked with photographers and I, I'm just, I can capture shots. I don't know what it is. I've never taken any classes. I just think I have a creative eye. And I actually told Janae that um, for my birthday, I think I'm going to ask for a camera instead of a puppy. <laughs> because the camera, I definitely, I think I'm going to, start my own photography business with this project. I really do. Okay. Yeah. I'll still work with photographers. That's not changing. But, um, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of awesome. opened up your kind of creative outlet. There you go. Starting this project has. Definitely. In a yeah. sense. Let's go back to that day when you went out and took the photos. Because the concept or idea is to kind of tell the story Mm. of what happened Mm. and talk about the growth and healing that you've gone through over the last couple years. This, that specific experience most likely contributed to many of the behaviors and things that you went through. Um, 
what was it like going out there that day and taking those photos? Oh, man. When we first walked out there, you know, at the time, it was during active addiction. I was homeless. Um, and, 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 or a person experiencing homelessness, um, for all our PCers out there. Yeah. And, (laughs) um, using as well. And, um, so it, it kind of was a blur that night, um, all the events, but when I went back, there was some clarity. So there was definitely some overwhelming emotions associated with that. Just seeing the the thorn bushes, the briars, you know, realizing uh, the brutality of it, you know. Um, what happened out there originally? Um, <clears throat> originally, I was, like I said, experiencing homelessness. I was walking down the street with my significant other, and um, we were attacked by three or four men. Um, I'm not sure to this day. I know who one of them is, not really sure about the others. Um, she, they broke her leg, um, bashed her head in, they threw her somewhere, and they drug me up into the woods. Um, and I just remember being in the thorn bushes um, on my hands and knees and not being able to get up and screaming for help. I never felt so helpless in my life. That was probably the moment where I was like, I could die here. And nobody would know, you know? And I, at the time, the kind of person I was, I really felt like nobody would care either. It was terrifying. Um, and I was knocked back out, and I came to in jail, actually. I was picked up by a cop, and they let me sleep there that night. Um, not under arrest. No, not okay. under arrest. They... Somehow, after the event, I had wandered onto Charlotte Street by myself, and they found me in the middle of the road, just laying in the middle of the road. Um, And I remember walking back out of jail, and there was no, you know, that's what I love about the peer support, because there really wasn't anybody to step in. No one really knew about the trauma. You know, law enforcement, they, they didn't really know what to do. They just kind of let me sleep and shower there and then let me go. Was there a, a report filed with there them was not. surrounding the case? There was not. Um, I went to the hospital a few hours later to confirm what had happened because, even you know, I was confused as well about what happened um, until they, they confirmed. Of course, when I woke up a, and took a shower, I knew. Um, but, um, yeah, and... Uh, I think the, I I don't, I never filed a report because I never, for one, I didn't know for sure. It was all such a blur. For two, there was so much shame. I was so ashamed. I was afraid, you know, and um, like I said, that's what I love about peer support is I'm hoping people can, um, can come into those situations and be an advocate for that person. Uh, that doesn't have a voice in those situations because I was just, you know, walked right back out of jail with no shoes. And no, no, I'll never forget, though, this lady. Um, I didn't even know her name. <clears throat> and um, she was visiting someone in jail, and she walked up to me before she walked in, and she said, God is telling me to help you. And um, I said, well, I'd really like a pair of shoes. So she took me to Walmart, and she bought me a pair of shoes. Um, 
and I'll never forget that that kindness, yeah. you know. So I even even in situations like that, those were those little moments where I knew that something bigger was was watching over me and uh, protecting me, you know, even in the hardest times. After this event, how much time passed before you began to kind of look at what might have happened and like kind of began to address some of that that trauma? Um, well, I still continued to use for quite a few months. Mm-hmm. And um, like I, I ended up moving to another city and uh, things got pretty bad there and, and came back home. I had to leave the relationship that I was in. It got very domestically violent as well. Um, and I just got on a bus and came back home, back to the same area that I was homeless in by myself. And through a series of events, what's so amazing is one of the first people uh, that I had a drink with but also found recovery uh, a few years before I did. And I had seen her when I was staying at a halfway house at one point before I experienced homelessness. And um, she had been reaching out to me over the course of that year. Um, and she, I reached out to her finally and I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this lifestyle. And she let me live at her house for a few months. And that was around when I started to kind of process. I was pretty numb. I was pretty numb at first. I didn't know what to think or feel about all that I had experienced, you know? It was kind of like, did that really happen? You know, did I really do that? Was that really done to me? You know, it, it, it's still, sometimes it's still hard to process. You know, that's why it's a lifelong journey of healing, you know. It most certainly is. We talk a lot about um, the process of forgiveness and like self-forgiveness and that sort of thing. And recognizing that it's not like a fixed destination or a permanent place, a, a place that you achieve, but it's also fleeting and you can forgive yourself today as best as you can right now in this moment and tomorrow some of that guilt and shame may reappear right and yeah. it's about turning towards it and going back to that process of of forgiveness the day you walked out there with emily hmm. what was going through your mind um there was a lot of emotions mm-hmm. yeah a lot of emotions um, I remember, I remember one thing you said, and I, um, when I spoke in Philly, I kind of, I, I, I kind of did a little background story with your pictures and, um, you were there and you, you were there and we were both in the thorns and you said, this is where it happened and you stopped. And that's when you started to cry. And I just like seriously, just as a survivor, I could connect with you, even though my story isn't like yours, but I just started crying too. And I remember you, you said it's worse than I thought. Mm -hmm. People didn't believe me. People said it wasn't that bad. That was, I I won't forget Mm -hmm. that because that people need to hear that. Yeah. And that is a reason I think that capturing that symbolic ground is important because 
you can tell your story, but taking someone back there through photography and saying like, this is what led to my rape or this is what led to, you know, um, my, when I OD'd and, and when I went to rehab, there's so many different areas that symbolic ground could be that this is where I tried to commit suicide. You know, it's, it's so it's connected. And if we can show like, this is important because this led to that. And, mm-hmm. and I need to go back here mm-hmm. because I need to show that symbolic ground that it doesn't have me anymore. It doesn't have control. I think also, you know, as a survivor or and many people, um, because a lot of us, especially in our childhood, you know, even like, um, you know, I know a lot of people that, um, things happened to them in, in their childhood and they didn't want to talk about it or when they told someone that they didn't believe them. So we minimize, we mm-hmm. minimize the trauma, you know, that, that comment, I guess it, it, I didn't know it was that bad because, you know, we, we, we try to minimize that, mm-hmm. you know, and that can actually stunt the healing and mm-hmm. going back there and, and facing it was like, okay, this was bad, but it was also empowering because like, I conquered that, mm-hmm. you know, I got through that. Yes. Like, and that's, what's so beautiful about this project is that you can go back to a place like that and say, but here I am now, mm-hmm. here I am now, like a mother of two kids and, in a beautiful relationship and, um, you know, getting ready to work in treatment and give back and, and that's just like, yeah. wow, like from, you know, from that animalistic point to a person, like I'm a person now, you know, and I, I have these things that, you know, I can contribute to society. And I think that's so important for survivors everywhere to know that, um, you know, take that and, and take your power back. And I don't know, it's just, it's came full circle for me. Well, certainly. <laughs> I think that, you know, the way that we are hardwired and our way that our mind works is to immediately turn away from and avoid that pain. Mm-hmm. And this, the, that environment that you're describing is a point or a place of significant pain. Mm-hmm. So it's only natural for you to avoid it or suppress it or not acknowledge it. But when you show up, in the form that you guys did, it creates a doorway, a pathway to healing that you might not have known was you were capable of, mm. right? Like the last year, I'm sure a large part of your recovery has been healing from some of these traumatic experiences, but it's a process. And by going to this place and walking through that pathway is kind of like a a catapult of healing. And it's like, though it is so fucking uncomfortable to do, it's just as healing. The healing happens as quickly or even more significantly than you might expect it to. Mm. Because I'll tell you, Janae, like, 
you've been in this room before. We had conversations off the air about coming on the podcast and sharing some of your story. You were kind of like, eh, you know, when I'm ready, I'll let you, I'll let you know when I'm ready. It was like that, you know, it wasn't like a week after these pictures were posted and you messaged me and were like, Hey, I'm ready. <laughs> you know I mean? Is that, that's the truth. That's right? the truth. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I mean, we're, we're, we're good friends, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't talk to you on a daily basis. I don't see you on a daily basis. And I've witnessed a significant change in the last 30 days since you've done this. Um, a, you know, a glow, a, a different mm-hmm. look, a different, a different person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that a lot of it has to do with turning towards this experience and really feeling it and then sharing it with the world and sharing it with other survivors that they could, they too can feel that pain with you through this project. And they too can heal and glow in ways that you are currently right now. Uh, It's super inspiring. Where... The Mindful Evolution Project, can we like take a step back and kind of talk about like the process of getting to that point? And like you talked a little bit at the beginning of like the idea and Mm -hmm. where the name came from. But as you were like had this idea, like what led up to the idea? So... I'm like a very visual person. Like I'm just visual. I am always visualizing <laughs> kind of like daydreaming, but I'm always just envisioning like bigger things. And you know, I would love to do a Ted talk like that. It's my goal. It's one of my goals. I'm going to get there. I just don't know when, but I, as I was just thinking of all the things I wanted to do, it was really after I gave my first talk at Lenore Ryan university last April that I truly felt at home speaking to those students, telling my story in a creative way that made them, that they were paying attention. I involved them. I had them like, can you hold this? Can you hold this? And they had no idea that they were part of the statistic I was showing. Like I was on fire and like my boyfriend, he came with me and he said, babe, you were in your element. You were become a different person who you were meant to be. And, and I just got so inspired and I, I just started thinking of all these ideas and I'm like, I want to make change that sticks. You know, there's like enough awareness and I want to bring awareness, but I want to change these statistics. So I want to do it in a creative way and mindful evolution just kind of evolved. <laughs> mindful evolution. It really <laughs> And it really did. We, my boyfriend and I, we were late one night talking about you know, names, um, because I wasn't sure what it would be. I mean, I had no idea. It it just kind of came together. And I think God, of course, he played a role in that for me. Um, I do yoga and I meditate and I have quiet time with God and I freelance, write, And I just like totally had this idea of what if we broke it down? I'm like, 
what if we go back? You know, what if we go back to who we were before the incident, you know, that the innocence phase. And then if we go to that symbolic ground of where you were when it happened or where you were when it led to where it happened. And then what if we go to the after effects of how you felt? And then what if we go to when you finally felt free, when you finally opened, you realized that you were the only one who can set yourself free. And I, I, you can have the best support groups, you know, the best therapists, all the prayers in the world, but you have to realize like you are the one that has to open up your own prison. You got to open up that door and let yourself out. And when I realized that I had to be that one, that gave me chills. <laughs> it's so true. I, um, and one of the photos of my story, Donna Angel, photographer, Donna Angel captured, she put me in my cage and that was her idea. She put me in the cage I was holding and I was like, whoa, that is like really freaky because that is so true, you know? And mm -hmm. so to me, it's just, I thought, let's break it down and let's do it through a story where people would pay attention because I really, I mean, I think that photos are going to get clicked on more. Photos are going to be like, wow, like that, that's powerful. And I had someone come to me and message me and say, who I went to school with and say, these, these are sad. These photos, these numbers, they're depressing. And, and it was where everyone could see it. And I said, yeah, I said, you're not meant to feel comfortable <laughs> with these posts. Mm -hmm. You're meant to feel uncomfortable because nobody wants to talk about it, but we need to. So I'm getting you out of your comfort zone and you're going to thank me for it because <laughs> she's absolutely right. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it is so powerful going through that experience. It really is, you know, and and I was thinking when you were talking about the cages, you know, it, and it's not just that trauma, it's those cages of addiction, you know, the, the, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, use and, and maybe not just drugs and alcohol, but other people or food or any type of addictions to cover up mm -hmm. something that was wounded within us. You know, even if it was years ago, and it doesn't have to be just sexual trauma. It can be, you know, your parents got a divorce, you moved, you know, trauma is so different across the spectrum from everybody on how mm -hmm. we respond. Um, and there, there really is no comparison of one is worse than the other. It's how does this affect you? What is your cage? You know, and so that, that picture of the cage is so powerful because I believe anyone can relate to that mm -hmm. on any level and you know and you just said it that's what this is about is that we <laughs> all relate is that we all have trauma in some form mm. everybody could get their photos taken and do this because like and just hashtag mindful evolution project <laughs> that's all you have to do <laughs> hashtag that mindful evolution project hey. and take your photos totally fine just make sure you give it credit please so we can just spread it around but th that's what it's about Absolutely. We all are connected. We all have trauma in some form. Mm. So and it was one of the things we we're talking about before the show is that like at some point in your life, you'll face an experience that you were ill-equipped to cope with or to meet. Right. Mm. And that is a layer of trauma and that at the more of those experiences that you have, the more they will affect and kind of shape you the, and turn you into the person that you become. Right. And so it's about like learning how to deal with that in ways like this project or in ways like meditation or whatever it is. Mm 
mm-hmm. um, that will allow you to uh, prosper and thrive and, you know, achieve your full human potential. The thing that I think is so beautiful about this is the artistic element to it and the creative element to it. Absolutely. Because those of us who have experienced the suffering caught, create cause or created by addiction. Those of Mm -hmm. us who have experienced the suffering that these traumatic experiences create, um, we tend to like lose that artistic element in our life, whether Mm -hmm. we think we ever had one or not. I, I do believe that every person has something within themselves that is creative and artistic in a way, whether it's music and poetry or podcasting and art. Absolutely. And so like we get so consumed by the addiction, we get so consumed by the sexual trauma, domestic violence, whatever it is that we literally like lose a connection with that. And there's something so powerful in that creative element. So you're Mm -hmm. like empowering these individuals to take that back, right? And to learn what that is, um, it, it it's it's awesome it's it's amazing like it's a it's a such a beautiful thing it is i and uh early recovery like i remember um and i i still consider myself an early recovery because we only have one day right. we got one day we got right now you know i, don't know, um, I see a necklace around your neck that states otherwise man <laughs> <laughs> i love this necklace. <laughs> this is like like yeah. the nicest thing that I have had in years, you know, and, and, and speaking of trauma, actually, um, through some childhood trauma, um, I couldn't wear necklaces, um, for, you know, a reason, uh, of its own. It, it was a trigger for me to wear a necklace. So this is kind of symbolic in itself. Cause not only does it represent, um, a year of recovery and not only was it given to me by someone that I dearly love, but like I can wear necklaces now. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's just kind of another tiny piece of the story. Um, and then I lost my train of thought on what I was going to say. Oh, in early recovery, I, I wrote a lot of poetry. Um, and that was a big outlet for me was writing poetry. And what's funny is I actually wrote a poetry specifically on my feelings about addiction and I related to a cage. Um, I talked wow. about my, um, my demons. Um, I fight to keep caged. Um, but they rattle their bars and the sound clangs in my brain. Um, and then I talk about going back to symbolic ground. Also in the poem, I talk about I went back into Hades to take back what's been stolen. Um, so I wow. just happened to think of those <laughs> lyrics and I was like, wow, I'll have to pull up that poem again yeah. because, you know, and, and then in the end, it's, it, you know, it says, please look at us addicts with grace because we have looked in the eyes of the devil's face, of the enemy's face, dark angel's face. That's what it is. We've looked in the eyes of the dark angel's face, um, you know, and that can also apply to anyone, anyone. There's, you know, a dark angel in anyone's life. But that, that cage yeah. is a very um, broad symbol to represent a lot. And that's something that I think a lot of people can relate to, our own prison, you know. Definitely. Creed sings about it. Yeah. So Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get to the point in your life where you were on a stage 
sharing your story <laughs> to a student body of, of college students. Yeah. Um, so uh, it wasn't until hmm, it was probably within the last four years that I admitted what happened that I admitted to myself after trainings. I, so I'm a, I'm in mental health. I work in mental health. And so I, when I was in school for my social work degree, I was triggered by a lot. I had to write papers based on my childhood and based on uh, like a biopsychosocial assessment. And, and the more testimonies I heard through these trainings and the more I realized, wow, what I repressed. And I realized that what happened to me was what these testimonies, what these people were saying. And that made me need to open up that, that, that closet. And it took a while. It took therapy. Um, it took telling that, oh, that would get me emotional. <laughs> telling my best friend, my mom, it took telling her what happened and that it wasn't her fault. And I think that's so important for for families to understand is when their child comes forth um, with something that happened years ago or even yesterday. Like sometimes like, you know, you can do everything for your child. You can protect them the best you can and it can happen. So like to, to let her know, like it wasn't her fault, you know? Mm -hmm. And once I finally told her, which was November of 2017, (laughs) I was already a speaker for RAIN, Rape, Abuse, Incest, Neglect Network, and I hadn't gotten a speaking opportunity yet. I had applied for a year, nothing. But once I told my mom, it's like the universe opened that door. Wow. And I got like opportunities, and, and then I met Brian Cardoza, um, survivor, um, author, artist, and he just connected me to Philly. He connected me to survivor panels in Raleigh, and it was just like, I, it's, I had to tell her. I had to tell her before I could do it. So that's how I got there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but, wow. you know, that's a pretty bold move to volunteer for an organization like Rain, yeah. right? To volunteer to be a speaker. So, like, most people, the average person, like, okay, I need to... I, this happened to me. It's time to share the story, and they'll mm-hmm. talk to a therapist and their loved ones and the people mm-hmm. that are close to them. But to have the courage to like take it a step further and say, my this story is so important for me to share that I'm going to volunteer for an organization like Rain mm-hmm. to travel and talk to college students and young people and people who have been affected by this form of abuse and to share my story, not just in my bubble, but in a very public way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and what a wave you've created. I mean, and I, I truly feel like this is just the beginning. You know, you this gave me my voice back. So that's that's a priceless gift that you've given to me. And um Oh, there's the tissue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if mm-hmm. you hadn't been so bold, you know, this is just, you know, just the beginning. I feel like, you know, and the other thing that I'm pretty loud and we're going (laughs) to we're going to make moves up out here, up in here, everywhere. Yes. The other thing that I learned is that um, through doing these shows every week is that, you know, only a small percentage of them reach out and let you know Mm -hmm. how you've impacted them. Right. 
thousands of people see your posts and a very small percentage of them will drop a comment or send you a message. Right. There's probably, you know, 90% more than do reach yeah. out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that actually, um, that then it, that actually received a positive message mm-hmm. or inspired them to mm-hmm. tell their parents or to yeah. talk to somebody about what happened. There's so many more people Absolutely. that actually get the message that yeah. just don't come forward and talk mm-hmm. to you about it. Yeah. And I, I have to remind myself of that because like I, you know, like I, even if it impacts one person, it's worth it. You know? <laughs> well, you just heard that it already happened. <laughs> I was going to say, I know. Right. And, um, it's just, I like, I, this is just so important, but it's so uncomfortable. And I completely think you're right. I think people are, are looking and don't maybe don't like it because they're too afraid. They're not ready. Or, you know, they realize, oh my gosh, that's me. Just like I did years ago. And I'm like, wow, I need to, I need to go through the the process, you know? And so or just the shame, yeah. you know, like yeah. as far as when it comes to, you know, an addiction, there are so many of us, and I believe there's many more of us that have even spoken up where, you know, we, maybe it wasn't rape, but we have sold ourselves for drugs. We have, you know, lowered our standards, you know, put a price tag on your body, you know, done things that, you know, with other people or with your dealers or whatever that you wouldn't have done before, you know, and, and not just women, but men too. And that's like, you know, it, it, it can be a fear to speak up because we're so used to, we got to put this guard up, you know, and, and sharing that's going to make you look weak and vulnerable. But what I found when I started to speak up was strength and mm-hmm. power. And that was, it was kind of ironic at first that sharing my most vulnerability is what gave me mm-hmm. my strength back. And that's what's so beautiful about the project is the project allowed me to see that, you know, and to have that firsthand experience, you know, and, and I feel like people could be a part of this process and it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to post your photos on Facebook and tell everybody, you know, right. we can, you can take the photos and that just be a personal experience for you. Cause everyone's recovery journey is different. Yep. You know, and some people aren't going to want to, you know, you can be a part of the movement and it doesn't mean that you have to, you you can remain anonymous Mm -hmm. in that to protect your safety, your security, you know, just, you know, if you need someone to talk to, to know that you're not alone, you know, we will, you know, protect that as well in confidence, you know, um, so that, that's what it's about. You know, you don't necessarily have to to post and put it up everywhere and have it go viral. It can be a very personal thing for you as yes, well. I completely agree. I'm so glad you said that because you read my mind because I want anyone watching, you know, if you connect with this um, to realize, like to, to know that like, yeah, it can be your own journey. And if you ever wanted to, to share that, like then you can contact me, but you don't have to, it, it can totally be like, you know, no recovery. Um, it's not linear. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> so it's, it's totally, everyone has a different process. And, or, and there's no set format. It's no, like, yeah. it's up to the individual to define exactly. how they choose to tell their story, whether it's yeah. through a photo mm-hmm. shoot, like 
Janae did mm-hmm. or through a beautiful poem like you also wrote. Like it's all about like how you choose to share the message mm-hmm. of hope and yeah. For me, I'm the same, like Janae, like when I speak to student bodies or to, you know, other survivors or, you know, just wherever, um, poetry slams or, you know, there's opportunities everywhere. Um, I, I get so energized and so empowered Mm -hmm. and that is like, that's my way of healing. Cause you know, for me, sharing is healing and, and that, that, that for me, the more I share, the more I connect, I heal. And that's not everybody, but that's, that's me. And I think Janae is the same Absolutely. Absolutely. We were also kind of brainstorming and thinking about, you know, since I'm being in recovery, I've learned that, you know, the 12 steps Mm -hmm. and we were thinking of, you know, in, in, in some fellowships, you know, some might consider this an outside issue. So we, what we were looking at is starting our own support groups, uh, for, um, you know, trauma specifically, it doesn't have to be uh, specifically sexual trauma, but anything that has um, impacted you in a traumatizing way and you want a safe place to share that, that we can offer those groups as well. Um, yes. You know, people that um, might be outside the realms of the, uh, uh, you know, 12-step fellowship, um, you know, that may not declare themselves um, as an, uh, you know, a person of addiction or have experienced addiction or a person in recovery, but just someone who has experienced trauma to come in um, and to be able to talk about that in a safe, safe zone. So, yeah. That's a future project that's yeah. coming on the horizon. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's what we're brainstorming definitely, about. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I mean, I work in mental health and, you know, and Janae is about to start working in treatment. And so it's probably, you know, we're going to have places where we might be able to to be able to get a room once a month, a safe space um, for everyone to come together. And it really is mindful evolution. I mean, it's everyone evolving together and connecting. And again, it's totally confidential. Um, Working in the field, we respect confidentiality, you know, and so like, yeah, everybody will be respected. Their privacy will be respected. But I I love that idea. And I definitely think that's going to happen. We're going to make it happen. Yeah. I'll promote the hell out of that on here. Yeah, please. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to do it. After you told your mom Mm -hmm. and about your story and that opened up an opportunity to go on stage in front of students. The first time, yeah. What was was the response from, from your story? What was the response? What kind of response did you get? So... When you, uh, this is usually a lot at college campuses, is you can, it's more nonverbal. Um, you can kind of just get a feel in the room for who's connecting. Um, I saw a lot of tears. I had a few um, come up to me and say thank you, and I, they wanted to talk to me. There was a counselor available if someone felt triggered, um, which was great. So, for me, I didn't have anyone in particular come to me and, and, and open up, but I had a lot of nonverbal cues, a lot. I could tell the ones who connected. I think survivors just have that spidey sense. So we can just, we can tell. And that led to further opportunities? It did. I was on a, I had two other speakers um, there and Brian Cardoza, um, a male survivor, he 
was there and we, we just hit it off and we connected and he connected me to other opportunities in Raleigh and Philadelphia. Yeah. And you just got back from Philadelphia. I did. <laughs> you were there like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Been almost two weeks ago already. <laughs> Survivor nights. Yes. Night, like night and shine armor. Okay. <laughs> What'd you do there? Yeah. Talk yeah. about that. Come on. So, yeah. On, that man. is perfect because... I saw you like running the steps like Rocky up there in Philly. <laughs> I saw I saw you having fun. Yes, definitely. I was so hyped up. I ran the steps like Rocky. <laughs> There's a video footage to prove it. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But anyway, um, yeah. So what Survivor Nights is, is it was created by Brian Cardoza 10 years ago. He's in New Bern. And his friend, Michael Broussard, uh, kind of helped him with one in Philly, and that started four years ago. And it's an art show for survivors with all sorts of trauma to share um, their story through whatever form. So there was poetry. I shared my Mindful Evolution project through presentation. I got a lot of wonderful feedback. I networked. Um, there was paintings. There was photography of um, a, someone who took pictures of individuals who um, had cut scars, like from cutting or... Um, mm -hmm. Um, you know, any kind of self-harm wound. Um, and they were beautiful. And so it, it was, it's a place to come together to support one another. And speaking of, I was asked by Brian if I wanted to host a Survivor Night in Asheville. And I wow. said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to look like fall, like November of this year. So please just listen, turn up, turn up, the volume and if you want to be a part as um a survivor as a supporter both um you know please just contact me plenty of time to think about it but i'm excited yeah yeah you know i'm gonna be a part of that yes definitely we need a venue yeah <laughs> if anybody's Absolutely. listening and they i just like found brian on facebook i'm already making moves <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> if anybody's listening they would like to reach out to provide a venue or yes. offer a venue yes. Um, we will be providing all of Emily's information near the end of the podcast. You can find her on Facebook, Mindful Evolution page, all that good stuff. So um, yeah. now what I want to talk a little bit about is you studied social work mm -hmm. and you found yourself working with children. Yeah. Is, and prior to all this Mindful Evolution stuff, right? Is that yes. Yeah, I worked in adult mental health and then child mental health. Okay. Yeah. And a part, a lot of the work that you were doing mm -hmm. is kind of working with trauma. Mm -hmm. It is? Uh, yes. I work with a lot of the percentage of the cases we work with, um, ages three to seven, um, are trauma-related. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that, like, all of that work and, like, doing that kind of thing kind of aside from like your experience at school that you kind of talked about a little bit, a little bit ago, do you think that that type of work kind of like opened you up to pursuing this type of creative project and kind of like seeing it in like the little ones, right. And seeing it in the, the young people, the mm -hmm. future of America yeah, and like, kind of like recognizing that this is a, a, a serious topic. Like the data shows what, mm -hmm. was one in three and one in six. Mm -hmm. is that and right? it, one, one in four, one in um, four? Uh, women will be uh, sexually abused before the age of 18. Mm -hmm. That's another statistic. Yeah. So like seeing the numbers of young people come through mm -hmm. your office and talk to you on a, a regular basis, um, kind of contributed to like your, 
thought process of like, I need to, I need to do something. It definitely helped fire it up. Yeah. Um, I, so when I worked with my adults, it's kind of like I went backwards. So when I worked with my adults, a lot of their clinical assessments showed abuse as children and trauma as children. And that led to most of them led to addiction or self-harming and, you know, any form of abuse, you know, and so I tried to reach the adults and I found it harder as they got older to, to keep them stable and to, and so I, I kind of got frustrated when I, there was an opening in intensive in home. I, I immediately applied for the young child team. I used to be a preschool teacher. I have a background, um, in that. And I was, I'm passionate about that age group. So I knew I had the early childhood education piece and the experience. And then, you know, um, I had the, the piece of, as being a survivor. So I just, was ready to it. And I got the job based on my experience as a preschool teacher. Cause they knew Ooh, you could relate, you know, to some of what is going on there in the, in the brain of the, the young child. And, um, so I kind of, my job, it's definitely hard. It, I have to put that boundary there, you know, because I, um, a lot of the cases are pretty severe and it's heartbreaking and my hope is that when they're older, <laughs> is that this project will be something they can turn to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my, my first experiences, traumatic experience, were actually as a child, you know, and then it, it was suppressed, you know, way, way deep down. And I, and I do believe that that is what led to, you know, me reaching out to drugs and alcohol as a form to numb or cope with that pain. And then with that came, you know, the loss of boundaries, then the, you know, the very risky behaviors, um, you know, and experiencing um, being homeless and putting myself in a very vulnerable situation. It was all connected, you know, to the abuse I experienced as a child that I never talked about. Um, I didn't even tell my mom until my 20s. You know, she didn't even know. Um, you know, and it, it's just kind of, you know, for me, it was, you know, once I became an adult uh, and I, you know, I, I was able to, because I had to grow up too fast because of these experiences. So once I became an adult, it was like I went back to a childlike state. Um, you know, that Peter Pan never want to grow up mm -hmm. syndrome. And, you know, that's what led to these self-destructive behaviors, except I was an adult, so I could drink, I could, you know, participate in these behaviors that, um, were very self-destructive and risky, yeah. you know, um, to the point where it did become as bad as it did, you know? So, um, that's another thing I love about this project is it gives you a voice before you reach that point you know like I made it out alive but some people don't you know I mean there was you know the experience that I had um there was rumor on the street that a couple weeks later it happened to another individual with increased brutality um and then a couple weeks later um a girl turned up dead with the same brutality same mo 
And this was all rumors on the streets. I can't confirm whether or not it was true or if it was the same group of individuals or not. We don't know. Um, but the, the reality is, is this is real and, and it happens to women, you know, mm -hmm. to men, you know. Um, and the MO isn't just sexual abuse. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a power control and sometimes they take their life as well. So it's a very serious matter. Um, yeah. And I think it's also important to acknowledge um, that those individuals who have been affected by secondary trauma, the individuals mm -hmm. who have witnessed these experiences Definitely. to a loved one, mm -hmm. um, because it's not something that's talked about a lot. You know, when we hear the word trauma, we th immediately think about what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And like my story, um, but we don't necessarily acknowledge because oftentimes we're suppressing it, like what we saw and like what happened to somebody else, somebody that we love and someone that we care about. Mm -hmm. um, right out of high school, I had a close friend commit suicide because after his girlfriend was sexually assaulted he carried a lot of blame internally on himself mm. because he wasn't there to protect her. They went out separately and she experienced a sexual assault. And a few days later he killed himself mm. because he carried that blame on his shoulders. And so like the impacts of these severely traumatic experiences go so much further, so much deeper than just the individual that it happened to. Absolutely. Um, just like, addiction that it, it's it, it's a family issue Absolutely. and it's it, oftentimes generational you know like why why does this happen mm. you know like yeah. what at one point in time the perpetrator was a child right mm. a little baby that's right innocent mm -hmm. loving and something happened in that individual's life that they grew up to a point where they chose to harm somebody in the manner that they did, right? And so, like... Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Yeah, that's right. And so when, I'm, when I think about this stuff, mm -hmm. I think about, like, what steps can we take, like, as a society mm -hmm. to educate and prevent this type mm. of behavior mm -hmm. and like you know mass media and the internet mm -hmm. and access to porn and all of those things like cultivate unhealthy behaviors right right like that or make it okay make it okay right. or like you know i mean and then we hear like with the me too stuff like mm -hmm. this this stuff has been going on in our society for ever time. ever yeah. ever basically and we're just <laughs> yeah. now acknowledging it that's right right and it was okay mm -hmm. to act and behave that way right mm -hmm. 20 30 years ago the people mm -hmm. that were doing those types of things were people that we looked up to yeah. that we like commended and recognized mm -hmm. and like yeah. Like 
you mean to tell me that like the people in, I don't want to, like Bill Cosby's life didn't know the people around him, a powerful man like that didn't know that he was doing those things to women right. and nobody spoke up. Mm-hmm. Everybody turned a shoulder, Sandusky, Penn State, all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. how, how, how did we get to that point? Right. How do we yeah. get to the point? I mean, we're just now talking about it. And I do believe that it takes it takes time for takes a significant amount of time for us humans to f- to 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 change our behaviors societally speaking to learn it's like to f- this type of like shift in culture is not something that like we wake up and say okay today we're all going to like change right Absolutely. like it takes a long time mm-hmm. like the caveman mentality to like (laughs) go away it takes intentional effort Mm -hmm. right it takes projects like Mm -hmm. this and people telling their stories in a public forum where it's okay to tell your story right right right. where it's okay to shed a tear and get it out that's right in that environment where you went where it's okay and then somebody listening to this podcast or somebody in the crowd says you know what like i experienced that too Mm-hmm. right Janae can go back and take these beautiful pictures tell this amazing story I can too I can go to my mom and talk to her about what happened mm-hmm. and it's hard because like yeah. the families need just as much support as mm-hmm. the individual that experienced it because the way that our minds are wired is we 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 automatically want to blame somebody. Anytime something happens, we like, we want to point the finger. It's mm-hmm. somebody's fault, right. right? We want to look to whose fault it is and right. place blame on them. It's our defense mechanism. Natural defense <laughs> yeah. mechanism. But is that, is, that, is that the way that cultivates healing? I don't think so, right? Mm-mm. It doesn't, no. like to me, it doesn't matter who did it. It matters right. how we respond to it. Absolutely. I agree. You were talking about this generation of society and how it, you know, um, it wasn't until I was older that I realized, like on my mother's side of the family, that mental, um, mental illness and, um, addiction struggles are prevalent, um, with my, her brothers and sisters. And, you know, I'm not, um, she doesn't speak much about her growing up, but I don't think that, um, I think there there was some pain there with with her mom, and um, how it just passed down generation to generation, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, I really believe that God is doing a movement in so many mm-hmm. different projects in so many different ways of breaking those generational curses. Yeah, you know of of uh, in just taking back that that ground and saying it it can stop here. You know, I remember. Um, being in the prison of my addiction and and wanting so badly to get out and wanting so badly for God to do, you know, to to help other people when I couldn't even help myself. And, you know, I, I remember as a kid, even if my mom didn't talk about her pain, I saw it, you know, and in, you know, other ways, whether it was projection or whatever it is, I remember, you know, um, feeling my mom's pain. And I'm sure that my mom felt her pain and it was passed down. It was passed down 
And, you know, my hope is that my children don't have to feel or carry my pain, is that, you know, I can go through this process of healing and they can see, you know, somebody with strength and then they can grow up to be powerful men that respect women, you know, um, that can, you know, respect society and, and, and we can start to stop these things. Um, I mean, you know, as a whole, it definitely is going to collectively take people coming together um, and, and raising their voice, you know. But these, like you said, society has become super hypersexed, and a lot of things are really okay, has. you know. And, uh, you know, even, even me, you know, like we love these memes. They're hilarious, right? Super inappropriate. A lot of times, like... You know, I, I mean, I, I used to love me some memes and now I'm like, wow, some of them are pretty savage. <laughs> um, and it's that humor is a way to cope with things. Absolutely. I, I am totally on board for that. There's you know a healthy what I mean? way to do it. But there has come <laughs> yeah. to a point where like on social media and, and on, you know, all these social, like you said, porn so accessible and all this stuff where it's just become so acceptable for us to... Um, disrespect each other um and like that needs to stop you know i mean you know boundaries are important and with all of these things so accessible it's humans have been like oh i don't have to have these certain boundaries you know i can text this or send that or whatever and you know we're we're not creating those boundaries which is so important so and i don't know what the answer is because like it's with the way we choose to use the internet today, societally speaking, with the way we we choose to use the internet today, like the ship is almost sailed on this thing. Like <laughs> there's no turning back, mm -hmm. you know, like we can be, we like us collectively here can be um, leaders and choose to use it as a tool to promote health and wellness and healing and all those mm. things. But it's going to take like millions of us to do that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. like it's, you said, it's a, a push of a button. To you stand know? up. Like yeah. It's you just, know, there, there seems to be a whole lot of like, you know, a shame, mm -hmm. shame or, or guilt associated with it. Or we don't want to hurt people around us. You know what I mean? Like you were talking about with the family members. You know, I have thought about the fact that it must be hard for my family members to hear this experience. Mm -hmm. When I finally told my mom what happened to me, I... I, it was, it was a gift. My, my mother broke down and cried and apologized. She said, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And I was given that. And that was a beautiful thing. Um, but my, I, I have a relationship with my mother today. Um, we talk on the phone and I'm telling you like something has changed in this woman. I've been praying for it for so many years. And, um, I call her and she's present for me. And we're able to, like you said, make those amends to each other. Mm -hmm. And what's so funny is that just happened a few months for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so making these amends and this source of healing, like it is such a big part of the process, I believe. You know, like God's like, you know, I'm not, you know, I got, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. You know what I mean? Like you have to do this thing. You have to do that thing. And yeah. like, like Stephen was saying, like I would come to the podcast, but I wasn't ready to share. You know what I mean? Like he's got to prune us yeah. a little bit first, you know, and it's definitely a, you know, a process. Like I shared my story, um, 
at the uh, women's prison um, this past Monday. And like I shared my story and afterwards I was like, whoa. Like I was like, I hope that, <laughs> I, you know, I kind of like after the meeting, I was like, I hope the, the women are okay. Cause it was like, wow, it's so heavy, you know? So it's definitely a process of, of learning to share each and every time, but we mm-hmm. don't learn if we don't get up and, and say something. Yeah. You know definitely. what I mean? From a family perspective, like how do we have this conversation in a way that mm-hmm. is um, compassionate, accepting, Mm-hmm. So, so it's really funny you've both t- touched on other parts of the mindful evolution that are are in the works is is I both sides of my family um, are, are addiction um, and you know alcohol abuse um, and you know and other things and you know one side's Irish Catholic and then the other Southern Baptist and they didn't talk about it and a lot of my family members um struggle like with addiction or alcoholism, um, you know, depression, you know, anxiety. Um, and, and it's just not talked about. And one of my goals is to stop that is to talk about it because I have lost family members before their time, a handful. And if we would have known what was going on, if they would have talked about it or somebody would have listened, maybe they'd still be here. You know, and, and, and I'm not the only one. I know that's that's everybody can connect to that mm. in some way. Mm. And and I think like what you said, Janae, like with your with your boys, I really think that this generation that we are going to we are gonna change that is because there's so with the Me Too movement, there's so many more people coming out, right? Yes. And it's a beautiful thing. And it used to not be that way. It's always been there. There's always been this going on since the dawn of time. Rape has happened since the dawn of time, you know, addiction, like it's always been there, you know, since we've been given like that free will that, you know, it's, it's just, it's, we've had that pain and I don't know why people do it. I have no idea, but hurt people do hurt people. Mm. I mean, that's very, very true. I mean, when you speak about different traumas and you speak about domestic violence, like if I were to honest, I would have to say that there were times when I was the person Mm -hmm. I, you know, many for many years, I reenacted things that happened in my childhood and I was the perpetrator as well. And I struggled with a lot of guilt and shame from that, you know, um, and there were times when I would have blackouts and, um, I would wake up from a blackout and my significant other would say, do you remember doing this to me and having a bruise here or a scratch there? And like, I had to come to terms with the fact that like, I not only had this done, but I have done this to other people and God is working on healing that part of me as well. You know, I don't think that every person that has, has done these things are just terrible people. You know, God came here you know, sorry, I don't want to get on my soapbox about about God, but I mean, he came here for all of us, mm-hmm. like for all of us. You know what I mean? Like I have to forgive myself as, where, as, as well as the people that have sexually abused me. And, and that's still a process. Like I still have a lot of anger, but like God loves those people too. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is, is stopping, stop, you know, trying to speak up 
before these things happen, having prevention uh, measures, having places that people can go to, support groups where they can um, talk about it, or you know, maybe even having groups to where if someone is is I mean, they do they do have, you know, shelters for domestic violence, something like that, but creating a network that's like, you know, lived experience, you know, peer support saying I've experienced this as someone's going through it. Like, what is a way that we can prevent it before these things actually happen, you know, or boundaries being crossed in a relationship or a family member, you know, when you start to go, uh, I don't think that's right or appropriate having somebody that can they can call and be like, is this weird? You know, can you validate that, you know, I, that maybe these are unhealthy boundaries or they shouldn't be treating me this way? And having somebody, you know, be kind of be able to step in and, and be a, a voice and a support and maybe people will be able to leave those relationships or family situations before a truly traumatic event occurs, before the lines are crossed. You know, I this just kind of came to me, so I'm rolling with it. Come but on, I, come on. we, I mean, we... Like that, that to me would, is, is, is a vision for me. Like, mm -hmm. can we, can we step in before, yeah, before this stuff happens, you know? Um, not, 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 you know, the, of course the, the services, the support groups for afterwards as well, but what can we do before, mm -hmm. you know, what can we, what can we do? Like you were saying to, to, um, raise awareness on how brash society has become with these yeah. issues. And you hit on um, something that also doesn't get talked about a lot in, in that fact that like the perpetrators themselves, mm -hmm. like obviously committing a crime comes with a punishment for that crime. Mm. However, that punishment typically doesn't entail like addressing whatever trauma led up to them committing that behavior. Mm. Right. And so with the the way that we communicate via the internet and the way that we have access to all of these things today could potentially contribute to more acts mm. of violence and trauma. Or what about the people that have said, I have done this and I will do it again? Yeah. The people with se How do the, you we, know, yeah. severe mm -hmm. mental illnesses mm -hmm. that, that um, you know, like you were saying, end up incarcerated for a crime and they tell the therapist I am Im impulsive I'm going to do this again mm -hmm. and they you know let them go anyway yeah you know like they're they're they are actually speaking up for themselves and in, in, in a sense trying to protect society you know mm -hmm. like what what are we implementing or, or putting in place to you know prevent this from happening mm -hmm. you know in essence, for lack of a better term, why do we keep letting rapists out if they're going to rape again? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing to address it? Right. What are we doing to address it? Mm -hmm. Or the mental illness of, of you know, if, if it is a mental illness and that, that, that compulsion is there, which I understand um, the mental co compulsion to get high or to drink 
What if it's the same for um, a sexual deviant? Then what are we doing to help with that, to help them with that compulsion before the acts are committed? Mm-hmm. No, I I agree. And I have no idea to that. I don't know how to answer that. And I think we need to get down to the root of why people do it. Yeah. And I don't know what the root is. Well, a lot of people that um, have raped have been raped. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we do know that. And I would like to ask, do you know the numbers, like how many of reported sexual assaults are substance related? I'm I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, Steve Steven Tyler, he opened up Janie's house, which is a hopefully there's gonna be one coming to Asheville area soon. It's a house for girls under age 18 who've been sexually abused. He knows from dealing with addiction himself that it's like I think it's like 95% or 90%, if I'm not mistaken. A very significant number. It's a very significant number of people who have been sexually abused, raped, sexually assaulted. Um, who who go who you know find addiction and that addiction doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol you know it could be eating disorders you know it could be cutting you know there's lots of types of ways to harm yourself to numb that pain and so it's a high percentage yeah 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 Janae you're a mother right I'm a mother you're a mother of two beautiful little boys yeah how do you anticipate talking to your boys about both what happened to you and then also from an educational prevention point of view? Mm. I mean, obviously, every mother does their best to teach their child what's right and what's wrong. Right. But what, how do you anticipate these conversations going? I don't know. You know, I did little. I hadn't really I thought of that. Um, the kids are having sex at like nine and 10 years old. I know. And 12 years old. Like, I know. Baby, that's right around so the corner. Grandma Hill is watching this. Okay. So she's probably like, oh, no, <laughs> you are still a baby. Um, no, but I, you know, I just, um, I would imagine just, you know, my hope is that my children will be open with me and asking and I will be. Um, open and, and answering because we we, um, we talked about questions. like the generational patterns, Absolutely. right? And we talked about like I would agree with the statement that you made Ooh. earlier that it you know it wasn't something that was talked about in right. my household. Excessive drinking was the norm, right? 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 It wasn't it wasn't like oh we live in a household of alcoholics. It was just that was an accepted behavior. Mm-hmm. We go on vacation, everyone gets shit faced. Like that's just <laughs> yeah. what, what we do, <laughs> right? We go to the beach, it's a party, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But any type of trauma and things like that was not, I I mean, I'm an old timer now and I don't remember. I did a lot of damage to my brain, but from what I can recall at this moment right now, I don't remember a lot of conversations about that. That's right. I don't remember conversations about, about specifics on like what to do or how to respond to these events. Right. Um, And so like, in order for us to kind of break that cycle, it's important for us to have these conversations. Now, obviously your project is on the internet. So at one point in time, (laughs) you know, like a memory will pop up, but like, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's important to like, uh, and not pointing blame to our parents, like, cause it's definitely not our parents fault. Like they did their best Mm -hmm. 
at that time. Right. They didn't understand the world that we would grow into. And it's continuing to and change. It's continuing to yeah. change. So like, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about like how am I gonna how am I gonna talk to my son about drug use? How am I gonna talk to so- my son about an appro- appropriate way to respect and treat mm-hmm. a woman? Because well, I'm just I as know. guilty as anybody else in, on like causing harm and mm-hmm. being in bad relationships and doing all of those things. Mm-hmm. So how do I teach my son not to that th- the way that dad lived his life at one point is not acceptable, right? right. How do I ha- have enough courage to co- be forthcoming and open about the way that I previously treated women? Well, I think if we're questioning it, we're already on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we're if we're already thinking about what we're gonna say, we're you know, you know, I I used to go like to friends and family and be like, how do I know if I'm gonna be a good mother? And they're like, because you're asking about yeah. trying to be a good sure. mother. Um, and what came up for me when you were talking was um, building self confidence for my children. So you know, when I had Bradley, I said, "Has anyone told you that you're amazing?" And at, when we first, you know, um, Lauren started that through, through you know Richie saying that, love Richie. Um, but you know, she started saying that to me, so I started saying that to my son. And at first, he would be like, mm. and then he would go, um, "No." And then now when I say, has anyone told you you're amazing? He goes, yes, you. Aww. And, and it's that, <laughs> that confidence building, you know, and also, um, you know, uh, uh, boundaries, you know. So Lauren will come up and, and hug me in front of the kids, appropriate boundaries, but also appropriate signs of affection to show that mm-hmm. we love each other, but it's, you know, appropriate in front of the children. Um, so displaying that as well so they get to see what it's like for two to people who who love each other um and just being open and talking about it and something else that I wanted to touch on kind of going on a different subject is um a lot of people well for me you know a lot of people say well are you in a same-sex relationship because of your trauma um and something that I want to say is kind of I always kind of had an interest before and yes I had childhood trauma but it was more like I was afraid of the you know, um, conservative people around me were very conservative and I didn't really know how to like come out. And it was something that I kind of kept secret. Um, so I guess something that I just want to say for myself is that I'm not in this relationship because of my trauma. I'm in this relationship because I fell in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I also want to share that for, you know, the LBGTQ movement as there are a lot of people, um, that um, might have that orientation because because of trauma, but some of them not. You know what I mean? Like I know people that have not experienced that trauma that are, are still gay. So trying to remove that that stigma as well, you know, especially in the church. Like you are you are gay because you must have experienced this and that. You know what I mean? Like no, I I the world needed my boys first is what yeah. I say. <laughs> so and it's it's exactly true like I have tried you know to have relationships uh with men and I just have my preference and you know I love who I love and and the same for several several people you know so we just want to give a voice to anybody out there mm-hmm. yes I agree yeah um, Boom. 
Boom. You brought up an interesting topic that I think um, I would like to talk about in the fact that going through what each of you women went through had to have affected the way that you engage in any relationship, right? Like Absolutely. going from what you went through and finding a healthy relationship that had to be a bit of a process for both of you guys to kind of like accept and put yourself out there. Like, mm-hmm. um, so what, what was that like for each of you? Like, what was that? What was the process like and how did it affect the initial kind of relationship? So for me, the, how it affected me is, um, when I was, when I was raped, I was 17 and that was, I lost my virginity through my rape. Um, so that was the way I experienced sex and it really, it messed me up. Um, I, I never, I, I mean, I didn't really date. I would try and I would just, I would freeze up when it came to the intimacy. And I realized that I, I would freeze because if you, if anyone's familiar, you know, with, with trauma, I mean, the muscle memory never forgets. So when you, are in a traumatic incident, whether it's a car accident, um, a rape, um, domestic violence, um, you know, an overdose, you know, your muscles remember. So the muscle memory remembers before we do. So Mm. I would tense up. So literally I would, I would tense up and I didn't know why, because I didn't remember. I blocked it out. I repressed it. So my muscles never forgot. So the, the stomach aches, the headaches, you know, I kept stuffing it down and I kept getting, you know, more headaches and more stomach issues, you know, and I just, I don't know. It, it, it honestly took, I, I mean, I have been, this is my first successful, um, healthy relationship and I'm almost 32 and that was when I was 29. So it took that long. I had to, I guess, accept what happened to me, open up about it, deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and once I did that, and I, I, I was so thankful that, that God brought into my life a man who understood that as he trained and he uh, trained in, sex, uh, in self-defense and how to shoot, he trained a lot of um, trauma victims. Um, a lot of the people who he taught, uh, my boyfriend Ryan, who he taught were rape survivors. So he understood from that platform, from, from that um, not platform, sorry, <laughs> aspect. And so he understood and he was patient with me. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I guess that's, I don't know if I'm blabbing, but that's like, that's what it was for me is it took realizing what, how, why I was freezing up, dealing with it and healing, you know, finding a healthy relationship and what, what love really was. Yeah. It takes a, you'd have to, it takes a unique person to, be understanding and open to that experience um, and be willing to like, kind of like walk through it with you. Absolutely. In a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Someone has compassion. You Um, know anybody like that? Oh yeah. Who's that? Who's that? Miss Lauren. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Um, In the beginning it was, it was a little, it was a little rocky for me because I'll also say that through, my um, 
because of my trauma, I also kind of put on this persona that that was the definition of myself. You know, I, I engaged in a lot of, um, you know, promiscuity. It, it, mm. it, it defined me, you know, it almost like I, you know, it was my way of kind of fighting back my trauma is now I'm going to engage in these behaviors, um, on my own and be in control. So, um, you know, it, to be with someone in a loving sense was an entirely different world for me. And I remember just being like, whoa, what's wrong? You know what I mean? Like, why am I crying? No, but I mean, it it was, it's really, it really is a beautiful thing because, um, now that part of my life is like far more fulfilling because I am healing, you know what I mean? And instead of, um, you know, coming in and, and, almost as a, as baggage, you know, now it's like, you know, I, it, I found healing in it. Um, I have a voice, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, I'm no longer afraid of it. It doesn't define me. That's something, you know, between me and the person that I love. Um, and, you know, but it definitely, it definitely was a process. Absolutely. You know, it, it was, it was hard at first, you know what I mean? Um, and, um, as far as that, you know, like, I mean, because I would have flashbacks of the trauma at first. Um, but I, I, I don't know, that's not really something that's a part of that anymore. And maybe, you know, through this project and the healing, I found my voice in that. So, um, and it's, it's created healing in a lot of, a lot of aspects, like some of my anger has dissipated, you know, like other, other behaviors, you know. How um how soon into the relationships did you guys like feel comfortable talking about your past experience? Let's see. Um, it it's probably I would say once we were officially dating, it was probably within that first month. Yeah, because I knew his background, and I I don't know. I just knew he would understand. Yeah. Hmm. What's, um, what's the next step on the progression of the mindful, the international (laughs) movement that is the mindful evolution project? Like, what do you hope to achieve next? Where are you going with this thing? Yeah. So, so right now, like I, I have like five other, um, people who have messaged me through, um, Facebook who want their photos taken. So I'm meeting with them. Um, I have some schedules, you know, uh, to meet with them for coffee to kind of see how they want their photo shoot, down, you know, to kind of hear more of their story and have their photo shoot kind of written down of how they want it. And then, you know, take some more pictures and post some more and, you know, continue to work on my website and just kind of just build my numbers is really what I'm trying to work on is just to, you know, like, gosh, like I heard WLOS is doing segments on rape. And like someone said, you should put your project on there. And I'm like, man, I would love to, like, how do I get connected? You know, Mm. it's just like finding that, you know, that, that, that right door that, that really just that broadcasts it. So I just, right now it's just building numbers and just taking photos. I'm working with photographers if I'm not taking the photos and just, I'm not going to stop putting numbers out there. I'm not going to stop putting pictures and then. I plan on posting. I try to post every day and just bring awareness and build numbers. That's that's where I'm at right now. And there's going to be different stages of of 
the shoes as well. So there's more yes, uh, photos yes. to come. We're yes. going to do... Um, yeah, so Jenny's shoot's not done. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're not done. We're never done. That's right. <laughs> we're just getting started. She looks started. right into the camera. Right in the camera. I'm talking to you and you and you and you and everybody. This is just the beginning of something extremely powerful. But um, what Emily talked to me about also is um, we're going to do different stages, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. we're also going to do photo shoots to represent the freedom, which I'm super excited yes. about. Yes. So the healing process. Um, so you don't like, you know, um, I, I, the response from the photos on my post was overwhelming. I did not expect so many people to respond to that, um, you know, and messages or text or um, anything like that. And some people that have messaged or have been able or just met in person in passing that might have seen it and said, you know, I didn't say anything on social media, but I've been through that also. Mm -hmm. um, so the movement is already spreading. People are already speaking up. Um, and what I love about this is it is creative photography and we do want to create uh, support groups and maybe, you know, um, something to help people that are in, in crisis before an actual crisis occurs. Um, but, um, and it's not just a hashtag me too. Like this is something that like is tangible. Like mm -hmm. people can look back at these photos, um, and, you know, be able to hold on to that as part of the healing process. I, you know, I'm excited for the, for the next stage yes. of photography. Yes. You know, I'm excited to be a part of this project. I'm excited for us to, you know, keep building our voice. And we're going to keep coming up with these different outlets and venues. We just got to get people on board. Yes. You know, <laughs> more people on board with it. If somebody maybe considering reaching out to you mm -hmm. to engage in a conversation and potential photo shoot. Yeah. Number one, where can they see Janae's photos? Where are these photos posted? Yeah. So they're kind of, I have three, three places you can look. So we'll start, we'll start with my website, um, mindful evolution project.com. Um, photos are on there of Janae and a few other people, mine, Janae and, um, Brian and Heather, and I have permission to say those names. Um, you can find them on Instagram on the Mindful Evolution Project. And you can also find them on Facebook's The Mindful. Um, no, so that one's not the, that one's just Mindful Evolution Project. And that one is just, that one was just built. But mainly the website is where you're going to be able to find a lot. And Instagram. Mm. Instagram is where it's at these days. Mm. <laughs> That's how you build an audience, an international audience right. that you're looking for. <laughs> yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep running with that. Well, listen, guys, you're both an inspiration. Um, I feel privileged to have an opportunity to just get to know you, talk about these stories, talk about ideas on how to, um, how to prevent this from happening to other people and right. how to empower people to share the stories that they have, share the experiences that they've had to both cultivate some healing for themselves, but mm -hmm. also inspire others to share their stories. Cause that's the only way that, you know, this whole trauma situation will be addressed is through that's right. healing existing trauma mm -hmm. and then talking about it to mm -hmm. prevent further trauma. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, maybe 
and I'm just rolling here. What you know, like what if there were we need like society, we don't really know. Like a lot of us don't know how to be respectable men and women and have mm-hmm. those boundaries, you know, and I really think it does start like I've learned so much about boundaries just in the past year. Um, in, in recovery, you know, in my relationship and relationships with other people and my kids and just like the word boundaries just keeps coming up and like, you know, people who um, are in recovery, um, our boundaries have been crossed a lot. You know, we've crossed our own boundaries. You know, we've, you know, the, uh, we've lowered, you know, our standards a lot. Um, and, you know, we're used to a certain way of behaving and living. And what if we were to, to challenge that? You know, what if we had, what if we had classes on how to, you know, for men to be men and women to be women and how we treat and carry ourselves so that when we are crossed, you know, paths with somebody that might be a potential um, perpetrator, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we can stop and say, whoa, the way that that person is acting is a little weird. What Mm -hmm. they're saying to me isn't right. Because I mean, I had an experience where it started with inappropriate things. And I was like, are they really saying those things? Mm -hmm. And I, but I questioned that because of my own um, self-confidence and Mm self-esteem was so crushed because of my previous trauma. So like, what if we had these implications in place already? You know, and we were taught these these kinds of behaviors or, you know, it started at home, like with my kids, I want to teach my boys to be mm-hmm. respectful boys. You know what I mean? Like, so that they know there are certain things you just don't say to a woman. There are certain ways that you just don't treat a woman, mm-hmm. you know, you know, or man, you know, like if, if my kids grow up and, and that's their orientation, I'm fine with that too. Um, but yeah, what can we do to prevent Continue to have these conversations. Definitely, Ooh. definitely. <laughs> yes, ta- drop awareness. the mic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> keep talking. You know, I will say. So here's what I will say for those listening: if you're not ready to to get to this step, at least know your local crisis centers. Okay, your agencies. Um, you know, Asheville. We have our voice, and we have Helpmate. You know, we have Mobile Crisis. Um, Ook, talk about the our voice thing. Oh yeah, hold on. Okay. okay. Um, so okay, we're going to talk about just that. make sure <laughs> it's my list. Just make sure that I wasn't going to sign off until I asked you if we covered everything. <laughs> just to make sure you're familiar with those local agencies, because I'm going to tell you, like telling your story to someone, you can be anonymous. Okay. Like I worked on a, a crisis line at helpmate from internship and like, it's all, it's all protected, but it's so freeing to just call someone and tell them. They're there to support you. They're trained. And that's the first step is telling someone, even if it's someone on a crisis line. So just remember that um, is just, you know, here's the quote I heard in a TED talk. You know, if, if silence is a predator's best friend, then we need to, we need to, we need to break the silence. So That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So our voice. So <laughs> Our Voice um, is a local rape crisis center in Asheville, and I'm going to be um, meeting with one of the ladies on the focus group, the anti-human trafficking group, and I'm going to meet with her next week. She's very interested in the project and working together, partnering together, so we're very excited about that. So more will be revealed. Yes. 
on the next podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Have you thought about starting a podcast? Uh, you know, that would be really cool. Mindful Evolution podcast. That would be awesome. Let's do it all. Um, Let's do it all. Yeah. Looking right at the camera again. Let's do it, guys. <laughs> gaze into their eyes. When I get my recording Stand studio, up, speak up. When I get my recording yes. studio set up, that'd be okay? awesome. I'm working on building a NC Raw network of podcasts. Nice. So more Here than we just go. this. I'm ready. That'd be awesome. So I'm ready. We're down. Already got my I would mic. like to extend an invitation to you. Thank you. My goal is to have that up and operating by the end of 2019. Nice. And I would like to give you, if you would except yes. like a weekly or <laughs> bi-weekly or monthly, whatever mm-hmm. works for your schedule. Yeah. You a podcast where you can come on and talk about what's happening in the mindful evolution yeah, world. That would be amazing. That would be so stories. great. You know, and what if we, like, I'm excited. If, if we're going on and sharing and there are people that are afraid to speak up where mm-hmm. they don't want to, mm-hmm. um, like comment on the podcast itself. What if we had some kind of messaging system where, you know, maybe, you yep. know, where, where they could contact, one of us directly or something or you know the mindful of like if we the messaging the mindful mm-hmm. evolution page um and just saying you know so they can reach out yeah. and speak up and still remain anonymous if mm-hmm. they wish to we're gonna i'm gonna continue yeah. that conversation off of the air because i do have a friend who has a survivor um type forum that's very oh. similar to what you're describing, an anonymous way to communicate. That's awesome. Oh, yes. So I'll, yeah, we'll we'd talk, love to partner with that. We'll very talk good. off the air as soon as we're done. Thank you, ladies. You guys yeah. are wonderful. I thoroughly enjoy talking to you. And Thank you guys you so inspired much. so many more people than myself. So Yay. I'm stoked to call you guys friends. Mindful yes, Evolution definitely. Project. Yes. Mindful Evolution. We out here, though. <laughs> MindfulEvolutionProject.com. Yes. Yes. MindfulEvolutionProject.com. And then there's contact info on there. And it's it's under construction. So <laughs> come check it out. Thank you guys for listening to NC Raw. Visit our website at www.ncraw.life and subscribe to the podcast by dropping your email address in the little subscription box. You'll receive exclusive content offers emailed to you every week. As soon as we publish a show, you'll get it in your inbox. Y'all have an awesome night. Thanks for checking us out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a very special thank you to the Comfort Inn of Silva, North Carolina for providing this wonderful recording space for us. Comfort Inn is located at 1235 East Main Street and they're part of the Choice Hotels chain. You can check them out at choicehotels.com. If you're traveling to the Western North Carolina area, I would highly suggest popping in. If you're staying, book a room, check them out. The Comfort Inn is a recovery ally. They support recovery in this community, and they also support um, community-based organizations. So pop in, give them some love, and let them know that you are grateful for their support of NC Raw. Thank you for tuning in. Have a good night.